Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Council of Trent podcast. I'm your host, Catholic Answers apologist and speaker, Trent Horn. And let me tell you one thing that's really hard being Catholic is when I have to interact with other Catholics that I feel like they're nice, holy people, but they're also kind of weird. Maybe sometimes I'm weird, though. You know, maybe I'm throwing my weird rock in my weird glass house. If you live in a glass house, you're you're probably weird. So today I want to talk about that. I want to talk about a, a little known virtue that I think can help us to be less weird and help us to live a more fulfilled life, to be better evangelists. That is the virtue of prudence. And the guest I have on to talk about today is perfect to talk about it. He, he's recently completed a book on the virtue of prudence. His name is Father Gregory Pine. Father Pine, welcome to the Council of Trent podcast. Hey, thanks so much for having me. I, I love the intro. I'm excited at the prospect of becoming less weird. <laughs> well, I was really excited when you told me you had written a book on this, you know, written on the subject of prudence. A lot of people, they don't understand prudence. They think, oh, are you being a prude? Like what, you know, that sounds like academic-y, gobbledygook. What does it matter? But to me, I think this actually relates deep down to a lot of things we personally struggle with. And yeah, I think that this is a big thing that in our pursuit of goods, I saw this a lot when I was in the pro-life movement, especially in the pro-life movement, where you're trying to fight for life, you're fighting a very macabre evil like abortion. And the combination of all of that, you start to get kind of weird. I think it's because it's a very toxic thing you're combating. And so you're still trying to pursue the good, but you're taking a, a wonky path to get, to get to the good. It's not very prudent. So... Tell us a little bit more about um, what you've been writing about and just help us to dive into the topic. Yeah, I think that um, maybe the best way, it's not going to be the best way, but the best way that I can think of at present of describing the virtue of prudence is it's the virtue that empowers you to live well, to choose well, um, and to live and to choose in such a way that you're able to, yeah, pursue your happiness in a way that's not just like, you know, Pursue your truth, but pursue your happiness in a way that uh, like fits with your relationships, you know, with your friends and with your family and contributes to the growth of those relationships. And then especially with your, your relationship with the Lord. So I think about it as like, it's a, it's a virtue, which helps you to be and to choose and does so in a kind of social and religious context. So basic idea being you become who you ought to become by doing the thing that you were made to do with greater and greater freedom and confidence and certainty along the way. So, yeah. So it seems like a lot of the virtues, going back to Aristotle, we have like <clears throat> the golden mean, right? That the, yep. the virtues are, we walk on the tightrope between two extremes. Like with temperance, you don't want to be somebody who starves himself to death, but you also don't want to be a glutton that eats everything in sight. You're always walking the tightrope in the, in the middle there. Like similar with courage. You don't want to be a coward, but you don't want to be an idiot <laughs> who charges mm. into dangerous things. So it seems like a prudence, we're walking in that tightrope and you seem to have uh, highlighted two, I can see two false views that you're walking the tightrope between. One would be, it doesn't matter what you pick, any choice you make is fine, you do you, whatever, it's very relativistic. But then the other extreme is to think, oh, well, if I'm going to do what God wants, there is only one choice that I can make. And I've got to figure out what that choice is. And if I don't, I'm in, I'm in big, big trouble. Those would you say those are like two extreme views on it? Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's a really good characterization. Um, I think that sometimes people think that God has our future in like a well-packaged little vocation kind of uh, what would you call it? Like 
package. Maybe I'll just say package as a verb, package as a noun. He's got a little vocation package and he's, he's withholding it from us until such time as we've what? Suffered enough or learned enough disastrous life lessons. And then he's going to bestow it upon us, right? So it's like um, if life were, you know, like a geometry textbook, you know, you're like, you're like working your way through like page one and page two, and you're just dying. You're like, this is awful. You know, like the exterior angle theorem, I'm never going to make it to page seven. Yeah. And then at a certain point, you know, like once you've suffered enough through chapters one and two, God's like, Ouch, just skip to the answer key. No problem. You know, really all of this was just pro forma, but you've showed that you're committed. So I'm just going to give you the answers. But I think that, um, that just, uh, I don't know if you would, you'd say misunderstands or misrepresents the way in which God really does place our lives in our hands mm -hmm. so that we can make of them something beautiful. And so when, you know, like when you're, when you're trying to make a decision and you ask like, what does God want? On the one hand, you can say like, God doesn't care because God isn't motivated by consequences in the way that we're worried about consequences. Hmm. But on the, other, on the other hand, you can say God cares very much because God wants you to choose. Like he wants you to forge a path that is the fruit of your freedom and to do so for the good, right? But like whether you get your haircut today or a week from now, like God doesn't care, but also like God wants you to experience the freedom of the sons of God. So that way you don't agonize over the decision, nor you make all kinds of crazy off the cuff decisions because of social pressure or lack of sense of self, whatever it might be, you know? So yeah, I think the way that you set it up is a, yeah, it's a great characterization. Yeah, I, I think what's difficult here is that people think, okay, God has a plan for me. And I've got to, it's almost like a mystery. I've got to pray hard enough and figure out what it is. Because otherwise, if I don't follow the plan, especially with big decisions, like who I'm going to marry, what job I'm going to choose, what vocation, yeah. I'm going to be a priest, religious, uh, married, unmarried. And yeah, you, you can work yourself up worrying about whether you're going to get what you're going to get the right one. It's not like God has it as a test to make sure you, like you say, oh, I got to make sure that I, that I get it all right. So one way to look at it, I might think, you see what you think, is that God wants us to do good, but just because something is good doesn't mean we're obligated to do it. Because if you think about it, it's impossible for me to do to pursue every good. Like it's good for me to uh, be an apologist. It'd also be good for me to be a firefighter or a priest or a doctor, but I'm not obligated to do all of those things. It's impossible. I can't do that. So there are many good. So I think it's helpful. Maybe I need to see what your thoughts are throughout life. It, sometimes we think in the moral life, we're only called to say no to evil. It's like, Oh, I got to say no to evil. Yes. To good. Well, actually, in order to live a prudent life, you have to say yes to many goods. If you say yes to too many goods, you're going to be totally stressed out and go bonkers. What, what do you think? Yeah, no, I think um, there are a variety of good things on offer. <clears throat> and part of the drama of human life is coming to discern like which good things are for you. And part of that process will be shouldering burdens that aren't for you or, you know, maybe aren't ideal for you. You've chosen them, you've shouldered them. So in a certain sense, they are for you. Um, like managing your calendar, okay? Different people have different ways of managing their calendar, but there are a lot of people for whom it's the case that unless that time slot is blocked, right? Or already occupied, you just say yes, which is one way of going about your life. Right. And we have different ways of explaining why we do that. Some people say, ah, I just can't say no. I lack all, you know, uh, boundaries or, you know, like they might characterize it negatively. Other people might characterize it more positively. Like, oh yeah, I mean, I feel, I feel called to be generous with my time. Um, and yeah, I think that this is, 
this is fitting or this is suitable. Okay. Well, um, you're, if you're, if that's your MO, if that's your rationale for accepting or denying invitations, well, you're just always going to be busy. Right. Um, and as a result of which you're always going to be bopping from one thing to the next, but that means that you won't necessarily be as present to the seventh, eighth and ninth thing to which you commit that day. That's a choice that you've made, right? You've chosen a variety of good things. Might it be better to say no to a couple of them? Perhaps, right? But you're going to find that out in the process. And that's one of the things I think is liberating about prudence is that prudence is a virtue for the way. So we as human beings, we, we you know, like proceed towards heaven as the fruit of lots and lots and lots and lots of choices. So part of what it means to be virtuous as a human being is to have this kind of historical dimension. God doesn't expect us to have become perfect yesterday. He's given us a whole life precisely because proceeding towards our perfection is a kind of messy business. And prudence accounts for that. You know, prudence, prudence takes that all under consideration and, and makes it to be good. So, yeah. So this gives us a lot of freedom then. We don't have to worry that we've quote unquote <laughs> married the wrong person or we've chosen the wrong job or chosen the wrong vocation. But we can understand that there that in some of our choices, it may not be the wrong person, but it's a person we've chosen to marry, for example, that might have more challenges than other people if we had chosen to marry different people. Not like we made an error in God's sight or, or disobeyed his will or something like that. I wouldn't know what that's like because I'm married to someone who's perfect. But I can, <laughs> I can metaphysically speculate about what it might be like to be in a, in a position like that. So, so I, I like you saying that it gives us this kind of freedom, but some people might say, I don't like this freedom. It's scary to me, you know? Yeah. So what are some practical tips that you might give to help people discern whether it's a little decision or maybe it's like a big decision, whether I'm acting prudently in, in aiming for some kind of good, whether I should say yes, or maybe I should say no, even if it's a good thing that I'm entertaining. Yeah, I would say one thing would be to avoid the freeze frame approach to decision making. Oftentimes we treat decisions like isolated instances, and then we begin to think of our life as just passing from one isolated instance to the next. Mm -hmm. So we're just constantly astonished that here is another very difficult decision that I have to make. And as a result of which, like I'm going to experience all the same anguish, mm -hmm. all of the same confusion that I did last time. So it's just like, Life becomes an endless series of these types of events. <clears throat> but I think it's, it's more helpful to think about in terms of character, right? Or to think about it in terms of your growth and virtue. The hope isn't that you have crystalline clarity about each decision. The hope is that you just grow in, you know, boldness and certainty and in confidence as you approach those decisions. And then you can actually make this a criterion for decision-making. So don't so much ask like, what's the optimal, what's the maximal, what's the best decision to be made? You ask in a certain sense, like, who do I hope to be on the other side of this decision? You know, like, how does this decision afford me an opportunity to grow in virtue, to become yet more perfectly the man whom God is calling me to be? Um, and, you know, you might come to discover in the course of that discernment that, that there are more than one good options in the sense that like, you know, you could, you could, you're, you just graduated college. You could do an internship for two years, which gives you some life experience, which will help you to frame research questions. If you go on to graduate school with a better sense of the practicalities involved, or you could go right into graduate school. Um, it just, it depends on a variety of factors. Like maybe there's a global pandemic and, you know, applications to Duke's, you know, like philosophy program have increased threefold on account of the fact that everyone knows that dot, 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 whatever you just, you, you're not responsible for all of the circumstances. 
You're just responsible for choosing something that contributes to the glory of God, the salvation of your soul and the souls of those whom God has entrusted to your care. But oftentimes that's, that's like more of a modest consideration than when you describe it in kind of grand terms. So, so when we focus on exercising the virtue of prudence, we can get away from being stuck in, am I making the right decision to, am I making a good decision? Because then you're, you're free. Like there's lots of, you know, there's only one right decision it can feel like, but there's many good decisions. And if you're the person you want to be on the other end of it, then you've made a good one. Even if there's another one that might be better, it's sort of like the classic problem with the the problem of evil. People say, why, why didn't God make a world like the best of all possible worlds? Well, well, there is no such thing. You could always make a world that's better with more and more goods. More, you know, it, it's kind of never ending. But do you do you yeah. do something that just is good in and of itself? Um, let me switch back to what I had brought up earlier about weirdness, because this is something I've noticed for a while. I always worry that I'm going to fall into it. It's people who are. It's hard for me to even say that they're holy. I want to say they're. I want to say they're pious. It's like they, they, they are always praying their rosary. They're always at the adoration chapel. They're always at, at daily mass, but they, they, they're off putting to others when they talk to them. It's almost like they can't connect with people as on a minor end or even on a major end. I, I've had cases, you know, you ask them, Hey, can you come help me with this on Saturday? And then they don't show up because they say, Oh, I just felt a sudden urge to be at the adoration chapel. And I just kind of got caught up with everything. It's like, well, I really needed your help when I asked you for that. And the idea is that, well, it's like my problem because, oh, you're, you know, you're going to blame me for choosing God over you. It's like, well, look, your piety is a good thing, but there's something still not quite right here. And I think it's the lack of prudence, I think factors into that a bit, or, or am I just being selfish and adoration should come first? (laughs) (laughs) No, I think that's, uh, yeah, your instincts are great. Um, I think that maybe a, a helpful way to describe it is like prudence brings together the virtuous life. So when you're baptized, you get all the virtues. Well, you get grace, you get virtues, you get the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So you, you're just given uh, an incredible gift. And that gift is you know, for, for the perfecting of all of the aspects of your life. But it takes a while to be trained up in the use of those virtues. So it's, it's almost as if like we've received uh, like uh, an inheritance upon the death of a great grandmother. And we don't even know what some of the curios are for. Like we, we don't know how much they're worth. We don't know to what use we could put them or how we would display them in a cabinet. It's just like, there's this abundance of riches, but we haven't yet, like we haven't yet figured out how to go about putting it to use. And so, you know, part of our growing in the faith and our growing in the exercise of the faith is just that. And prudence is the virtue which oversees it. And there are virtues which um, govern the types of interactions that you're describing. So I think here, especially of those little virtues that fall under justice, which kind of make for a healthy and happy society. So like truth, you know, you you should tell other people the truth, because if you lie to them, then they're going to suspect you of lying and then no one's going to trust you and then things are going to fall apart. Or like liberality, St. Thomas says, like just kind of basic generosity. Sure, you've got things, but things are for using. And I mean, using of things is for making of life, like making life better, as it were, not just for you and your family, but for those with whom you share life in some way, shape or form, you know, simple stuff. Um, But then like another thing that he describes is gratitude. You're like this, I mean, barely qualifies as a virtue, right? It's just like a simple thing that, you know, polite people know how to do, but like politeness, right, is a, is a, is a virtue. And I think that that that's something that we, well, something that we do without even recognizing it is that we have 
certain human excellence, which is what we call virtues, and we assign them a moral value. And then other human excellences, which we don't really think about as virtues, and we deprive them of their moral value. But for Aristotle, they're all just virtues, right? So like, I mean, not charity for Aristotle because he didn't know about it, but like charity is a virtue, the greatest thereof, but also like social facility, social ease, polytest, like the ability to conduct a conversation, to include people in the conversation who might be a little more shy. That's a virtue, right? That, that perfects human character, that makes it so that you are good and act well. And I think prudence is, is going about the work of bringing all these virtues together and helping you to exercise them at the time and place for which they're called or in which they're called. So um, apart from not knowing which prepositions to use in certain places, I think that's, I think that's what I think. Yeah. So it's kind of like, imagine all the virtues are like the toggles and switches on the, the board in an airplane, in a cockpit, like you've got them all there. Those are all great to have, but if you don't have a set of eyes that looks at all of them in relation to each other, it might be great. You might be focusing just like, Hey, look at, Look at how uh, straight my altimeter is. I've got the straightest altimeter in the world. My wings are perfectly level. Look, I mean, this is amazing. Look at how, you know, or well, that's not the altimeter. The altimeter is your altitude, but I mean like the, the horizon gauge. And it's like, look, wait, wait, but wait, you're not looking at the altimeter. You're gradually losing altitude. You're, you're not looking at another part of the panel that's so important. You're only focused on one part. And I think that can show up, like, like you say, when we're focused on some virtues and we don't have that area of prudence. Like you brought up truth, for example, like truth is a good and we think, okay, I'm not going to lie. Like, or, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to intentionally deceive other people, but maybe you can comment on how prudence works its way in here in our day-to-day lives so that we know how to apply it in, in little things. Like for example, a prudent person might know when not to share a truth in a situation because it might hurt themselves or others, which there yeah. it's like, it's harder to, to determine because you think that telling the truth is good, but it may not always be good to do that. And is that where like we need prudence to help figure that out? Yeah, no, you can think of, you know, like different friends in your life, say like something great happened, um, you know, say that you wrote a book and there's like a publishing house that you wanted to, you know, publish it and they accepted your manuscript and you're really pleased. Um, you're you're going to want to share this news with other people because that's just what you do with good news. You want to share it because you want to, you want to give vent to your excitement, but also like include other people in it because that's just a normal human instinct. But let's say that one of your friends just had a manuscript rejected, right? And you're, you're probably not going to bring that up. And when you do bring it up, you're going to kind of insert it in such a way that it's not highlighting the fact that yours was and his wasn't. Okay. Mm-hmm. Or say, you know, somebody who, um, yeah, like what would be an, an alternate circumstance? Like say, say you know somebody who's like maybe trying to get going, uh, but they find it really difficult to compose, right? They find it really difficult to get those creative juices flowing. And so the fact that you're able to do that to them as a kind of a front, you might also like if you if you say like, hey, I got this manuscript accepted and I have like a good sense for the process now, like how to go about it, how to get it accepted, blah, blah, blah. So I'd be, you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm available if you if you ever want to like work on yours together at some point, we could do like a little workshop, but you're thinking like, how do I put this in a way that's not condescending or right. in a way that sounds patronizing? you know, like, so you're, you're taking into account all of these different factors given your audience. And I think that, yeah, prudence is the, is the virtue, which sees, it kind of sees the landscape like a general, like a battlefield general who's, who's on the, um, you know, like the hill behind his army. I think right. of Napoleon in that one battle, Borodino, which is described in War and Peace. Yeah. All right. And so he's able to marshal his troops because he has this provident vision. So too with prudence and the way in which we live our everyday life.
Mm -hmm. So it's, it's how we put it all together to be able to, to be able to achieve that good because there's all different sorts of paths that we'd be able to take. Another point I want to raise or ask you about, it seems like in the gospels, I can think of a few circumstances where it seems like Jesus is very concerned about the disciples and even us today, future believers lacking in prudence. I I think about when he says um, how uh, the children of the kingdom are not as cunning as the sons of this world, or like when um, he says in Matthew 10, 16, be as gentle as doves. This is the one I think is really about prudence. Be as gentle as doves, but as wise as serpents. That's one of my favorite sayings of Jesus's, honestly, because yeah. it throws you for a loop. You would think Jesus just wants us to be like gentle bunny rabbits, but they get eaten. You know, you don't want to be evil like snakes because they think that the garden, it was a serpent. Like, why would Jesus want us to be like a serpent? He's saying, well, just be as smart as them, but don't act like them completely. So he's emphasizing the importance of gentleness, meekness, mildness, compassion, but not being a dumb dumb about it and not letting people take advantage of you while you're still able to be gentle to others. So do you, does it seem like Jesus is concerned with us, not just about being pious and, and having these other virtues, but in exercising prudence? Yeah. And, and I think that, you know, we, we experience this or we kind of think through this on a daily basis. So again, you know, thinking, thinking of your life, you are an apologist, you have, you know, different like networks as it were through which you publish and through which you promote your work. It's not enough for you to say like, I'm saying true things, right? And whoever shows up, shows up, right? Because if you're going to like give a parish mission, for instance, in San Diego, California, you're going to do some work promoting that event. So as to ensure right. that there are people there, not just because you want people there because you would feel silly if there weren't, but in the sense that like you have something to say, and so it's for you to ensure that there are people to hear what is said. Um, I once talked to a guy who worked in Hollywood and he said, for every dollar that Hollywood spends making a movie, they spend two promoting it, which mm-hmm. I think is like what it means to be crafty as a serpent. So it's like, okay, if you're creating media or if you're creating content, um, you're, you're going to know something about YouTube thumbnails and you're going to know about how to title your videos and you're going to know about SEO. You're going to know how to tag it. You're going to know how to you know, like promote it on social media because it matters, right? It, it matters. And it's not enough to say it's a good thing. The Lord is pleased. I mean, okay. But I, I think that's but- true. There's a lot of people that'll approach me or you other people who will say, I've got this, this great thing. I know God wants me to do. Maybe he does. And then they think because God wants me to do it, if I just do it, it will succeed. But they haven't taken that far back step to prudently ascertain, well, will this succeed? What are the chances? of it succeeding. Uh, what do I have to do to make it possible? Do I have enough resources to make it possible? It's like when Jesus said, uh, when a man builds a tower, does he not count the cost first? That mm-hmm. I think a lot of people, they'll jump into things. I have known people who have tried to do full-time apologetics work like I do, and they have bankrupted their families because they did not count the costs and think that, you know, they thought that they would be able to support themselves in doing it. And they failed and they didn't fail because of a crazy unforeseen circumstance. Sometimes we could make prudently make the best decision and God sends a meteor in. I mean, you know, you can only plan so well, but other times you could say any other reasonable person would have thought ahead. That's not a great idea. And it seems like we want to be in a position. So help me walk walk the path here. We don't want to, because Jesus also says, don't, you know, he says, don't worry about tomorrow. Today's has enough evils. 
in the sense that if we're obsessed with planning so much that we control every contingency, we're not leaving any room for God. But at the yeah. same time, you don't want to just imagine God let everything on autopilot and you don't have to do anything. So once again, is it about finding that balance? Yeah. No, I think like God exercises his providence through our use of prudence, right? Mm -hmm. So God is providing, but he's providing through our free agency. He gives us what we need, but he also gives us, as it were, the means to discern what it is that we need and to go about securing what it is that we need. So when it comes to like, um, yeah, like, like making a decision that concerns the future, prudence is not just saying like, whoa, 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 pump the brakes. This might not be prudent at this juncture. It's not just like caution or circumspection. Prudence may also entail risk taking mm. because at a certain point, like if what you really love, you're doing as a part-time job and you're able to do it for 15 hours, for 20 hours, for 25 hours a week, but then it's just, it's, it's really hurting your full-time employment and your family and other commitments. At a certain point, you're going to have to cut loose. And that's scary. That's a risk, right? Because you go from having benefits and from having healthcare to not with the hope that you can grow that additional 15 hours and then find mm -hmm. uh, whatever, like a pied de terre. So th there are going to be risks entailed. Um, and so prudence isn't just about deliberating endlessly until such time as you decide not to do the risky thing. Prudence means thinking through in order to, like you said, choose a good thing to pursue a prudent course, but to provide for it, right? Mm -hmm. To do what remains in order to provide for it. So like St. Thomas will talk about the different parts of prudence. And he says, you know, it entails docility. You should be, you should be having conversations with people who have been through it before, who are wise, right. like are seasoned, or it entails memory. Like you should consult your experience, which means you have to have had experiences before. So it's not just about like thinking in like a sensory deprivation vat and yeah. then eventually making a choice at the age of 57. It means like living, you know, but well, it, reminds, talks yeah, about it, it, it reminds me of um, the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 15, 22, uh, Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. And so do you think that, the, to wrap it up here, when we're exercising prudence, this is actually one of the virtues that benefits well from, inner, like you were touching on this here, from interactions with others to, to bounce ideas off of, to acquire knowledge we didn't have previously. Like when some people ask me, should I be an apologist, like do this full time? I'll say to them, well, do you, you know, it's when you start, it's like, does it bless God, bless the kingdom? Well, yeah. Do you enjoy it? Yeah. And you'll go through the, the, the steps to discern. And then I'll ask, do other people genuinely and freely affirm that you are, you are successful at this? Because uh, I think that's helpful to bring in other people. And that's where, that's where prudent comes back at us. Because I think sometimes we are a detriment to others where we blindly praise people simply because we don't want to hurt their feelings. Mm. And then that's where we have to use prudence to let people know that it's valuable or praiseworthy what you're doing, but it may not be the best use of your time. Notice there, that's my prudent way of saying, you probably shouldn't do this. You're not good at it. That would be imprudent to bluntly tell someone it would really hurt their feelings, but to learn yeah. how to give someone counsel without unduly hurting their feelings, we're back to square one of prudence, right? Yeah. No, for sure. And I think that um, it's difficult, especially in the year 2022, because it's, it's just a fragile time. Um, yeah. It's an easily triggered time. It's an easily disconcerted time. And so we feel like we have to couch everything in such a way that it's most easily digested or received, which is, which is a good sensitivity insofar as, yeah, the thing is received in the mode of the receiver. And you can't just speak into the void and you know leave it to others to interpret your 
communication in the best possible light. You know, we're responsible actually for some of the reception. Um, but yeah, we need to find ways in which to be honest with each other. And I think that that's maybe that's a, an occasion for us to say, okay, identify a couple of your friends whom you can rely upon to be honest with you and to do it in a way that's, you know, genuine and sincere, but also firm and strong and like give them permission, maybe empower some of those who are close to you just to be a little more frank, a little more forward. If you suspect that you're drifting off into la la land, because prudence is always in touch with the real because only the real bears grace, right? Only the real in fact bears fruit. Uh, yeah. So yeah, that's, that's good. Well, thank you so much for being on with us, Father Pine. Uh, where can people go to learn more about your book? Uh, yes. Yeah, so it's published through Our Sunday Visitor and it's uh, you know available through amazon.com and it's called, yeah, Prudence, Choose Confidently, Live Boldly. So, and it'll be available to ship, I think on April 18th, but until such time, it's available for pre-order. So thanks. Well, definitely it'd be prudent for you to pre-order it because then you won't have to think about it later and it will arrive because you might forget in the meantime up till April. So maybe it's very prudent to just pre-order and, and have that sitting and, and ready and waiting for you. Prudent. Uh, so the, it's called Prudence is the main title. That's yeah, right. Pr yep. Prudence uh, is the main title by Father Gregory Pine, published by our Sunday visitor. Definitely go and check it out. Father Pine, thanks for being on the, the Council of Trent podcast. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Cheers. Absolutely. And thank you guys for listening. Definitely check out Father Pine's new book on prudence when it comes out and definitely consider supporting us so we can continue to reach people. Go to visit trendhornpodcast.com. Thank you guys so much. And I hope you have a very blessed day. Hey, thanks for watching this video. If you want to help us produce more great content like this, be sure to click subscribe and go to trendhornpodcast.com to become a premium subscriber. You'll help us create more videos like this and get access to bonus content and sneak peeks of our upcoming projects.